Man, I really love that song. You know, when our race is complete, I hope that's what we say. That Christ is Christ through me. It was all Christ. Well, hey, speaking of that, what a great song to lead into our new series. Today we begin a new uh, spring sermon series through the book of Colossians. And this series is titled, Is Christ Enough? Is Christ Enough? We're going to be looking at the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. Uh, This is a short book. It's only four chapters long, but um, like a good Baptist preacher, I'm going to stretch it out to probably 12 or 13 weeks. So so buckle up. Here we go. All right. And I hope you, if you have a scripture journal, uh, we have, we may have a few more still for sale out there, but um, they're only $5, but we do have our Colossians scripture journals. Uh, You can pick one up today after the service as well. Um, But anyways, those are just a great Uh, for you to take notes and underline things that stick out to you as you're hearing the sermon and then go home and you can reflect on it as well. So again, thank you so much for being here this morning. Hey, let's let's pray and ask Jesus to bless his word uh, before we dig in. Jesus, we are so grateful that we have you. Lord, I pray that as we dive into the book of Colossians today, that you would speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that the word of God would transform who we are, how we think, how we live, our character, everything about us. Lord Jesus Christ, would you show us that you are truly enough? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, as humans, we are always concerned that we may run out of something, right? that we may not have enough. You know, so we ask ourselves questions all the time. right? We use the word enough in our vocabulary daily, all the time. Do we have enough money to buy this? You know, do, we, do we have enough people for this to work? Do we have enough supplies for this project to succeed? Do we have enough milk in the fridge, honey? Right? Do we have enough chairs in here for everybody? You know, those examples are, are pretty trivial, pretty situational. But there are deeper levels of this concern for enough. Do I have enough love and admiration from others in my life? Do I have enough respect for all of my hard work? Do I have enough comfort and security for my future? You see, in all of this search, in all of this search for enough, How do we know when we have enough? What is really the measure or the standard? Do we ever really have enough money? Do we ever really have enough love and admiration from others? Do we truly ever have enough security in our lives? It seems that we don't. It seems that we're always grasping for something else or something more. Do we ever really achieve this level of whatever our definition of enough is? You see, in his letter to the church at Colossae, the Apostle Paul is going to show us that in our endless search for enough, only one thing, only one person can deliver and truly fulfill this craving, this desire to fill like we have enough. We must move away 
as Paul will show us, from putting our hopes in limited and temporary things and, and set our minds and set our hope on someone who is infinite and eternal, Christ himself. That's what Colossians is really about, and I'm excited. I'm excited to dive into this with you. We're going to spend our spring semester going through this verse by verse as we see the beauty and the richness of Christ himself in this letter from Paul. So just some quick facts for you about the book of Colossians. Colossians was written, of course, by the Apostle Paul in about the year A.D. 62 from uh, what most people believe was he was in jail. He was in a Roman prison. Uh, And so he's writing to these Christians that he heard about. He had not even met them face-to-face or been there, but he is writing to them uh, to express gratitude and thankfulness for their faith and to encourage them. And so Colossae, uh, if you're not familiar with that ancient city, it doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) There's a few ruins there, I believe. But uh, Colossae was a city in Phrygia, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. All right? And so a man named Epaphras, I don't know if you've heard of him, but you're going to hear his name today. A man named Epaphras from this small city of Colossae, he heard the gospel, most likely in the city of Ephesus, several miles to the west. All right, so he hears the gospel, and guess what he does? He goes back to his hometown of Colossae, and he starts sharing what he heard about Jesus. So one person, Epaphras, hears the good news of what Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection, and then he believes, he responds with belief and with faith in Christ as his Savior, and he goes back home, and he starts telling people. He starts telling people the good news, and so this this city... This city, once dominated by false belief, now has this new message running through its streets. There's truly a movement of God happening in this once pagan city. The news of what Jesus Christ has done, who he is, it's spreading. People are responding to the message Confessing sin, repenting and turning away from sin and trusting that Jesus Christ is enough. That he is their Lord and their Savior. So the church at Colossae was established there about mid-century in the first century AD. It's remarkable though, really, isn't it? That one man heard the good news of Jesus in a different city comes back to his hometown, and it starts to spread. Now, Paul has received this report. He hears about this, okay? He hears about their faith and how things are going, and he's very thankful for these these new Christians in this city. But the message of Jesus will always be faced with opposition, And that's exactly what happened in Colossae as well. The church at Colossae was not immune to this reality. There was competing philosophies floating around that had emerged and and really posed a threat to the spiritual health and vitality of the Colossian church, the Christians in that city. So you can imagine a, a city 
where the, the message of Jesus is completely new, right? It's strange to everyone. But as people are believing, not only are they believing, and that's a positive thing, a positive reaction, but there's a negative reaction happening from the rest of the people in the city, right? And so something happened. Now, scholars, scholars are not sure what exactly this competing philosophy was specifically. But what we do know, as we see throughout Paul's letter, as he addresses it, is that it devalued Christ. In other words, whatever this competing philosophy was that was pushing against Christianity in Colossae, it was basically saying Christ is not enough. So maybe it wasn't completely opposed to Jesus and his message, right? So you could, you could have Jesus, but you need something else too for fulfillment, psychologically, philosophically, emotionally, socially, and all the arenas of life, Jesus, sure, but you also need these other things. So Paul, Paul decides to write a letter to encourage them to remain steadfast, to persevere in the truth of Jesus. But I, I believe this letter really challenges us today as it did in ancient Colossae, to ask the question, is Christ enough? Is he really enough for me in every arena of my life? Or do I feel at the end of the day, hey, Jesus is cool, but I need this. And if I don't have this, then I don't think that I can truly be happy. Is Christ and Christ alone enough? Let's see what Paul says. So you open up to Colossians chapter 1, or you could read on the screens with us, or open your scripture journal. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to read all the way from 1. We're going to go through verse 14 today, all right? So here we go. This is the introduction, right? This is the intro to Paul's letter, all right? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is how Paul introduces himself and the first few things that he feels the Colossians need to hear. So if there's one word in this opening to Paul's letter that really summarizes what he's saying, I believe it's redemption. Redemption in verse 14. So if you have a scripture journal, underline redemption, the word, or you can circle it in verse 14. Redemption, redemption is the act of God in which he saves us from our sin and gives us eternal life with him. Redemption is the act of God in which he saves us from our sin and gives us eternal life with him. And so this redemption is really a process. It is initial in one sense, but it's also ongoing in another sense. And then futuristically, it will one day be fully complete. So if you know Jesus as your Savior here today, if you have turned from trying to be your own Savior in your life and you've truly trusted Christ to be your Savior, then if you're a true believer, right, then this, this process of redemption is something that you are currently, presently in, right? We're in it now. But there is a chronological aspect of our spiritual journey, all of us, that I think is very comforting for us to think about, to see how in our spiritual lives, Christ was there all the way, all along, guiding us, leading us to himself, shaping you now presently and storing up for you a hope in heaven. He's truly the author of our salvation. You see, here's what I want us to see today. By looking at what happened that Paul reports about there in the opening of his letter to the church at Colossae, I think we see a chronological model of what really happens in anybody's life who trusts Christ as their Savior. And I believe this is very comforting for us to think about in your own spiritual journey. So here's what I want us to see today. When we talk of Christ as our Redeemer, the one who gives us redemption, right? So is Christ enough? Yes, he is our Redeemer. There is a past, present, and future tense to this. So number one, let's talk about your past. When you first came to Christ, right, what did you do? You heard the gospel, you heard the gospel and responded with belief, right? That's what happened to the Colossians. Look at verse five again. Paul says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. He says, you heard the gospel, it has come to you, right? Verse six, you heard it. You understood the grace of God in truth and you learned it, he says in verse seven, from Epaphras, right? That's who you learned it from. He's the one who shared it with you all. But what are they learning? What, what are they believing in? Well, Paul says it's the gospel, right? And so that word gospel simply means good news. The good news of what Jesus has done for humanity, and what exactly is that? Well, verse 13 tells us the answer. That's what Paul says at the end of his opening here. What does he say? 
He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the gospel tells us that all humanity, every single one of us, were wandering around in darkness under the domain of darkness, the rule and the reign of spiritual darkness. So before we come to Christ, what we have is really nothing. Now, we may think we have everything we need. We may think we know all there is to know. But the truth is, before we come to Christ, we think that we have figured out the best way to operate our lives in this world. But the problem is the world is a dark place. The world itself is broken because of humanity's sin and rebellion against our Creator. And so things don't function properly. And so what you have is lost people wandering around in the dark, in a dark world, with darkness in our hearts and minds. I mean, it's pretty dark. And so we're stumbling around trying to find our way through life, thinking that different things in this broken world, that we could somehow bring them all together and fix some kind of machine that works, so to speak. In other words, fix our life with all the broken things in our broken selves. But then, when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, when Jesus opens your eyes to faith, when somebody shares the gospel with you, the good news of what Christ has done, what has he done? He has given up his life so that you don't have to wander in the darkness any longer. Jesus experienced utter darkness. He put himself into the darkness on the cross so that you could live in the light. He put himself in the darkness and the pain of the cross so you could be free forever, so your sins could be paid for, so that you could live in freedom with no debt to God because Jesus took your penalty on himself. And when that happened on the cross, something else happened. You see, he secured eternal redemption. When he rose from the grave, eternal redemption was secured. And so what happens is when you respond in faith to what Christ has done for you, there is a transfer of citizenship. It's remarkable. And so you are no longer in the domain of darkness, but now you're in the kingdom of light. Look at verse 12. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Qualified you. See, we try to qualify ourselves for all kinds of things, right? Maybe your kids are in school and they try to qualify for a competition or something like this. We're, we're just ingrained in our minds from an early age that we must qualify and that God can look at all the great things we've done and say, hey, he's pretty impressive. Sure, come on into my kingdom. But we have nothing that's impressive to God. God himself qualifies us because Jesus's record of righteousness is given to you in your place. So here's the deal. If you're a Christian here today, just like the Colossians heard this good news of Jesus and responded with belief, that is what happened to you, isn't it? In your past, you heard this good news, this message of what Jesus has done, and you were transferred. You were transferred to another kingdom. Somebody had to share that with you, though. And so I wonder, 
Isn't it nice to think about that? I think it's comforting for us to reflect on who was it that shared the gospel with me, with you? In other words, who was your Epaphras, so to speak? Maybe it was your parents. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home and your mom or your dad or both of them or a grandparent shared the good news of Jesus with you and you responded in belief with faith and you were transferred to the kingdom of God. Maybe it was an extended family member or a mentor in your life. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you weren't raised in a Christian home and so, or you were raised in a, a, a different form of religion or something like that and, and so you never really heard the gospel till later in life and so maybe it was a person at the church you started attending. Maybe you came to Christ as an adult and it was a Christian friend that you worked with. Maybe it was just an old friend who they came to Christ and then they shared with you one day as you were sitting there spending some time with them. Maybe it was a neighbor you see, I love, one of my favorite things as a pastor is, is getting to hear so many different stories about how people came to know and, and trust Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And I think it's just a beautiful thing for us to stop sometimes and reflect on that. Maybe even to thank the person who led you to Christ if they're still living. Just send them a text or call them or an email and say, hey, you know, the pastor mentioned this and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. So whether you were saved as a child or as a teenager or as an adult, every story is beautiful, no matter what your past history was. And I want us to be comforted by that today, as I believe the Colossians were comforted by this as well. Whether you were living on the streets addicted to drugs or whether you grew up in a Christian home, both people, the religious and the non-religious are wandering in the same domain of darkness, just different flavors. So every testimony is beautiful. Every testimony is remarkable because none of us deserve God's grace and salvation. We all need to be transferred from the domain of darkness to the beautiful kingdom of light. How great is it? How great is it that every story is beautiful because every story points to a loving God who wanted you. He wants you. How great is it that Christ secured your redemption 2,000 years ago? And then, what did He do? He orchestrated the events of your life and the people in your life to bring this gospel message that finally made its way to what is modern-day Western Turkey and somehow got across the Atlantic Ocean a long time ago and somehow made it to you. That Christ orchestrated the events and the people to get this good news, this saving, eternal news to you because He wanted you. When you heard it, you could respond with belief. And what a comfort it is to think about our past salvation, our redemption, to know that all along Christ was bringing salvation to you. He was determined to rescue you from your sin. Number two, I think it's helpful for us to think about the present. The Lord 
continues to change us over time. So this is the ongoing aspect of redemption, right? So there's this initial moment where you hear the good news and you respond with true faith and belief and trust in Jesus. But that's not the finish line. In fact, that is actually the starting line. That's the starting line of your spiritual journey and walk with the Lord. And so what happens is the Lord continues to change us over time. You see, this is so important. This is so important to constantly remember in our Christian lives. Not only did Jesus save us from something, right? But he is redeeming us to something. We always need to remember this. Look at verse 13 again. He's delivering you from the domain of darkness, but transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So because of Christ's salvation... We are now in good standing legally before a holy God, and nothing can change that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus forever. And this comes, though, with a new identity, a new citizenship, a completely new life. You know, when when someone immigrates into the United States and uh, you go through the process of becoming a U.S. citizen, so not only is there, you know, that official paperwork that you can you can hold in your hands and, and prove, yes, I'm a citizen now. That's this is just an amazing thing. But in a way, it also there, there's something intangible, right? You you have a completely new life. You have a new home. Over a process of time, what happens? You become more and more, you know, acclimated to the culture around you, and you learn the customs and all the funny silly things we do as Americans, right? And you learn, you learn how to live as a citizen of a new country over time. But your standing, your actual citizenship happened in a moment. But over time, you have to learn over time, right, how to live. Well, in a similar way, as a new Christian, a new follower of Jesus, We have this initial saving moment where we become a citizen of the kingdom, but it is going to take time. It's going to be a process to get acclimated to what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, to live a new life following Christ and not the ways we used to. You see, that's what Paul is praying. That's what he prays the Colossians will understand and that they'll continue to grow in. Look look at verse 9 again. Let's read 9 through 11. He says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased, right? We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk, right? And, and we use that word here at Kernan a lot. It's part of our vision statement, right? Walk with the Lord, right? We want to walk in community together. That word walk implies an ongoing journey with Christ. Right, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That's Paul's prayer. That's what he's asking God to give these Colossians over time as they grow in their faith and as they learn more about what it means to be a Christian. These are the things we should strive for. 
This is what we should be growing in right now in this process of redemption that you're in. In our present life as a follower of Christ, filled with spiritual knowledge, wisdom of God's will through Jesus, increasing in the knowledge of God, right? Bearing fruit in every good work. What does that mean? That means that in everything you do, you do it for the glory of Jesus. You do it for the goodness of God and for the good, for the betterment of others. We live as Jesus lived. And so, well, how did he live? He lived sacrificially. He was always serving and putting the interest of others before himself. And so every good work, we're bearing fruit along the way, looking at the model of Jesus and following his lead. It's just a process. I use this illustration a lot because I think it's just so, so good and it's so true. You know, if you look at the stock market, right? If you look at the stock market, uh, gra- the line graph, right? You know, you might look at the last day, you know, the last week, and it's red, it's going down, right? And then you may look at the last month, and maybe it's red, maybe it's going down, and you're like, oh, man, my retirement, right? You start thinking about these things, all right? But, but what happens? It gets more comforting when you zoom out and you look at the five-year view. And then if you zoom out even further and you look at the 10-year view, what do you see? Oh boy, it's up and down all the way. There's day to day, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down, it's jagged. But when you look at that 10-year view, what do you see? It's going up. There's progress. There's growth. You see, the Christian life is so similar. It's so similar. Because you may look at your life yesterday and think, oh boy, I really messed up. I was down. That was red for sure, right? You may look at your life one week ago and think, it's been a bad week. (laughs) Right? You may look at your life a month, I don't know, a year. But here's what a true believer, now listen closely. I believe this with all my heart. A true follower of Jesus Christ, if you look at your life five years ago, if you look at your life 10, 15, 20 years ago, If you truly know the Lord, you know what you're going to see? You're not going to see perfection. You're not going to see today that you've arrived at some level of enough. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see progress. You're going to see growth in your faith. Because who is the one, right? We're the ones causing it to go up and down, down at the end of the day, right? But who is the one with his hand on you? giving you the courage and the ability and the spiritual wisdom and knowledge and strength to bear fruit in every good work, it is Christ over time is walking with you, perhaps sometimes carrying you when you couldn't walk yourself. It's a beautiful thing to look at the process of redemption in our lives and see a Savior who is there, who is there with you every step of the way. So now, in our life as a Christian, we're not striving to be obedient to convince God, right, that we're worthy of his love. In our present Christian life, we we seek to obey God because we love him, because he loves us. In our present Christian life, because we are joyful and, and, and giving thanks to him because of our redemption. That's why we seek to obey. His redemption 
continues to work in us over time. Lastly, number three, the future. Future redemption. Right now, what do we do? We, we fix our eyes on the future, on the hope of eternity. Look at verse five again. Paul says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, a place where they weren't, yet, where they weren't uh, there yet, right? But he says there's hope, and that's what you're looking towards. Paul was reminding the Colossians that their hope is not in this world, it's in heaven. So, so what is the hope? What is laid up for us in heaven? Well, look at verse 12. It's an inheritance. He says, who has qualified you, right, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. All of us, in other words, all Christians together one day, basking in God's glory, sharing in the inheritance of the kingdom of light. You know, people, people who get some kind of inheritance, perhaps when a loved one passes away, you may receive some money, Maybe you'll receive a house, their house or their car, maybe a family heirloom of some, type, some kind, or something meaningful that means a lot to you. But what is, what is our inheritance in heaven? Well, it's the kingdom. It's the whole kingdom of God. It's experiencing his full presence and joy, complete and full redemption, finally, finalized, crystallized. It's getting to live with God in his victory where the domain of darkness is defeated and the kingdom of light reigns where there's no corruption, no injustice, no sickness, no disease, no anger or bitterness, no jealousy, no sadness. The inheritance is perfect peace where we live together in a new world created by God that functions exactly as he intended it to all along. Paul will talk about this idea of fixing our minds on eternity later in the letter. But today we see that our, our personal redemption and this world's redemption it will not be fully complete until a future time, until Christ returns and gathers his church and reconciles all things to himself. When Christ will sit on his eternal throne as the great victor, the great redeemer of the universe, when everything sad in your life will become untrue and everything, all things, in your life, in your family's life that know Christ, in your friends that know Christ, all things in this world will be made right. So this future, that future that Paul says is laid up in heaven for us, that inheritance, and that should be what drives us now. It's really the past, the present, and the future that should be our motivation to live for the Lord now, right? In, in one sense, we look to the past. We see what Christ has done. We see that our sins are forgiven. Our penalty has been paid. We are, we are standing before God, holy and righteous, because Christ's record is given to us. So we look to the past and we see that. We look in the present 
And we see that, yes, even though we have those up and down days, Christ is with us. And he is shaping us into who we need to be. And we look to the future and we say, man, I've got to loosen my grip on the things of this world because I want to tighten my grip on the things of eternity. And I want to make every second and every minute count on this planet because there is an inheritance that is waiting for me in eternal glory in heaven. And so we look to the future and we say, is, is that what I'm really living for? Am I living for things with eternal value? And how do you know if you are? Hey, just what about your priorities, really? Do your priorities and your daily rhythms and your calendar, does it reflect, does it reflect that you're living as if your eternal inheritance is enough? That Christ himself is enough. How do you spend your money? What do you give your allegiance to? What is your heart's emotions really tied to and knit to? The things of this world are not necessarily inherently bad, but when we elevate them, when we elevate many things in this world into the place of God, that we need them to be happy, that that is when we have failed to realize that Christ is enough. That our eternal inheritance, for some reason, just doesn't mean a lot to us. We are a narrow-minded human race. We are very incapable of seeing much farther beyond tomorrow. So today, we ask the question, is Christ Enough. And as we see in Paul's opening to this letter, we answer emphatically, yes. He is our Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. He is more than enough. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and to transferred us to the kingdom of light. Is Christ enough? Yes. He has given us everything we could ever imagine. Spiritually, the spiritual wisdom and understanding to follow Him in this world, to live for Him with our hope set on the future. He changes everything about us. He changes who we are. He's given us a new life, a new citizenship, a new meaning and purpose for living. Is Christ enough? Yes. He has given us redemption. He is our Redeemer. Is that how your life, is that what your life reflects? I can't answer that for you. And really, probably nobody else in here, maybe your spouse, but maybe your best friend, if they know you really well, but at the end of the day, only you and God know the true state of your heart and what you are attaching it to. What you are elevating above God himself. Is Christ enough, though? Is he truly enough? Does your life speak that? Do others see that? I just like to think that Epaphras, when he came back to Colossae, people had never heard this message of Jesus before. 
But I like to think that they probably saw something in him that was so different than before. Epaphras, you've changed. You're different. What happened? What's going on? And he shared the message. He shared the news. He told them, I have a redeemer now. I've been redeemed, and you can be too. Is that the message? Is that the message that characterizes your life? And is that the message that you're sharing with others?